Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybooks. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the Storybooks together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Today, my friends, I have the pleasure of introducing you to pretty much the father of functional medicine, Dr. Jeffrey Bland. Now, for those of you that are new to his work or don't actually know who he is, he is a chemical biochemist and he is known as the father of functional medicine. He's an immunity expert, which we dive into during this conversation. He's the founder of the Institute for Functional Medicine, IFM and Personalized Lifestyle Medicine Institute, PLMI. Uh, And he's a best-selling author at that. He's a thought leader. He's an educator, entrepreneur, speaker, and big, bold health president. And get this, I didn't know this at the time, but after we finished our conversation, it turns out that some of the medication that I actually take, Dr. Jeffrey Bland actually founded the company, Metagenics. So I was really, really over the moon about that. And this is a conversation I think you guys are really going to enjoy because it all deals with immunity, how we can build up our immune system and how knowing about nowadays, post-COVID, how does COVID really affect our immune system? What does that have to do with uh, what we eat as well? And so much more. Polyphenols, how plants influence our overall health. And there is a lot of goodness in this conversation that I know that you guys are really going to enjoy. And uh, hopefully you get a lot from it like I did. I, um, I thought speaking with Dr. Dr. Bland was just a lot of fun. So um, yeah, if you do get something from it, please do share it around to your friends and your family that everyone know about this one, especially. Don't forget that you can get a copy of my book right now, The Path of an Eagle, pretty much wherever books are sold. I will link uh, where you can get it in the show notes below to make it easier for you as well. You can also check out the full video now on YouTube. Links will be in the show notes below too. Uh, All right, my friends, you know what time it is. It is time to journey with me in this story box as we listen to the incredible wisdom, the advice and the stories from the father of functional medicine, Dr. Jeffrey Bland. Jerry, I can't tell you how much I appreciate uh, both what you're doing and the chance to have this conversation with you. The pleasure is all mine, my friend. You just said a moment ago that you believe that life is one great big story. And I said, not long after that, we are both kindred spirits in that respect. I couldldn't agree with you more. So today, I'm, I cannot wait to unbox all the wisdom, the advice and your own story that, uh, that you carry with you. Uh, my very first question for you before we dive further into your backstory, why you do what you do and, and all the, the wisdom is what does success look like for you? Oh boy, that's a good, uh, really good question. Uh, obviously, um, giving it into a soundbite requires compressing 76 years of living in my life. Um, I think for me, I would say still being healthy enough 
to actually watch this wrap around me and many of the things that I have found important, such as a relationship with my wife, with my children, with now my grandchildren, with the world at large, principles that I've been talking about in the health sciences for 40 plus years um, are all maturing and giving me a sense that there is a purpose to all of this that fits together and it makes my life um, very fulfilled. What does health mean to you? What does it look like to you? It means uh, being able to get up every morning and uh, still ha have the capability of exploring the world and having the options to create new opportunities that you would have never thought that were going to be possible in your life. And uh, that range of motion, that uh, resilience, that the freedom to operate, that uh, sense that there's still a lot of um, opportunities for you to learn new things about yourself and make contributions to the world, um, that, that really is to me the embodiment of, of health. You've been a doctor for a very, very long time. And with that comes many, many years of experience and seeing a vast array of different illnesses. And do you believe that as you're growing up as a functional medicine doctor, that, and the, what you've seen, that more and more people are becoming unhealthier today than before? Well, I, uh, the answer is, the simple answer is, of course, yes. But and the more complicated answer is how and why. Yeah. Uh, I think that we uh, globally have gone through one level of another COVID-2 and how it translated into COVID. Um, COVID was more than just a viral disease. It was a, a psychosocial, political, economic, cultural, biological, uh, and uh, I guess uh, financial yep. energy that went into our system for which not a single person went through it without having impact. And um, all of that when woven together is a measurement of the collective health, not only of the individuals, but the planet in which they are living. Yeah. And so I, I think that we are coming out of and still not out of and probably will never be completely out of the trauma that was experienced because it brought up not only the immediacy of the frailty of life and of the ways that we can leave this planet sometimes with no celebration and, and under distress, but it also brought up the fact that I don't believe well, we were as healthy as we thought we were as a global population. And uh, if you look at the um, demographics of the illness SARS-CoV-2 going into COVID and its ultimate forms that it took going in some cases to the termination of life, you'll find that um, there were differences in, in how serious the infection was in terms of outcome. Uh, in the United States, if you look at the data on a population adjusted uh, basis, we were one of the worst countries in the world relative to the severity of the condition yeah. uh, as it traveled through our country. And you might say, well, it's because it affected a lot of older people. Well, it did affect a lot of older people, but we're not the oldest country in the world on mean average age. And a lot of the people that were affected were not old. And in fact, if you look at the actual adjusted age stratification, of deaths to COVID or hospitalization requiring intubation, it's very serious COVID. Um, we as a country were, were, were ranking right up there uh, as, as number one, yeah. far worse even than probably, of course, we probably don't have all the data from China, but, um, but it, it, it appears to be even worse than China. So if we were to ask the question why, um, then that leads to a, a, a very complicated discussion because it's, it has so many factors that bear on how a single organism, in this case, a viral, uh, maybe not even organism, I don't know if you wanna call virus an organism, but let's just say an a vector, how it could ultimately then present itself into different people in such dramatically different ways. And to stick around now as long haul post COVID syndrome in millions of people in the United States and tens of millions globally, who are still having the residual effect, even though they're not infected 
with the, uh, the disease of COVID-19 itself. They still have the memory of that disease as it scarred their immune system. Yeah. So when you put all those things together and you say, okay, what did we learn? And how do we go from here? It is the challenge of not just my older generation, it's the challenge I think of the younger generation to ask how we're gonna create a world that, that doesn't um, lead to this level of catastrophe again. Looking at the narrative that was spun around COVID-19 and what it actually does to you, I mean, there was so much information being passed down through the media, you name it, whatever it was. And it seems like for me as a, as a young person, I've had COVID twice. Uh, I was like, okay, it's not really as serious for me as what the media kept spinning for me. So I'm curious for a functional medicine doctor, uh, Dr. Bland, how serious is it and who does it affect the most? Well, I think it was incredibly serious. And I, and I you know, want to, um, uh, I, I commend you that your system, your resilience and your immune system having been infected um, was such that you could accommodate that signal, that virus in such a way that the symptoms you had were reasonably, I, I, from what you said, reasonably mild or reasonably manageable. Um, in many people that were your age, um, that was not the case. Yeah. And, you know, in some of those uh, individuals, you say, well, that was because they were in immunosuppressing drug therapies, like they had cancer or they had some serious autoimmune disease and they were taking drugs that were suppressing their immune system. And th that is true. Those people were at higher risk. But there were a lot of other individuals who thought they were reasonably healthy, uh, that when they were infected with that virus, they didn't escape. And uh, they were mortality statistics. But for those that they did escape, um, many of them have pretty serious residual symptoms of fatigue, brain fog, muscle pain, respiratory problems, uh, uh, blood coagulation difficulties, uh, cardiovascular problems um, that are still with them in, in very serious ways. And they thought they were pretty immune to this condition because they were young and they were, they thought, fit and healthy. But then when we start to explore actually uh, more what that really meant, uh, not what they thought, but what was actually present, uh, we start to recognize, no, they really weren't as healthy as they thought they were. In terms of their immune vigilance, their immune resilience, their immune plasticity, meaning its capability of responding to a, a foreign substance like SARS, uh, was not up to speed. And if, if it's not up to speed, then you have a different potential outcome. For me, I was just like, get out of my body. <laughs> that was my sort of philosophy. I'm like, this isn't going to beat me down. I mean, if, if you were to hear my whole medical history story, Dr. Bland, you'd be kind of shocked. But then again, you'd be like, okay, well, this is just another illness for Jade. It's not going to keep, keep him down. It'd be fine. But I do understand there were so many people out there that did suffer uh, enormously with COVID and it did a lot of damage to their system and especially their immune system. And I guess I wanted to bring up the, the, the subject of natural immunity when it comes to something like COVID versus human enhancing things. Does that actually help at all? Or am, am, I, am I completely wrong? Or is natural immunity the best option going forward? Or is taking drugs or putting a vaccine in our system, is that going to help at all? Well, you know, again, I don't see that question in my mind as being one or the other. I, I think that there is, as is always the case, I think, in life, technologies are there to be used at the right time in the right place for the right purpose. And I don't care what the technology is. You know, if you need a hammer, then you probably don't want a saw. Uh, both hammers and saws are useful, but you got to use them for the right thing. So um, when we think of, of viral infections, um, and, you know, I, I happened to have worked at one time in the 80s for a two-time Nobel Prize winning laureate, Dr. Linus Pauling, who um, uh, won a Nobel Prize both in chemistry and in peace. And he was a magnet for really remarkable people doing remarkable things around the world. So I, when I spent my two years uh, uh, on sabbatical as a professor in his running a research lab at his facility, the Linus Pauling Science uh, and, and Medicine Institute in Palo Alto, um, I was uh, had the opportunity to meet a lot of remarkable people. One of those remarkable people 
um, was, had worked with Albert Schweitzer and uh, was with uh, Albert Einstein uh, in uh, actually um, traveling the world to get smallpox vaccinations to occur uh, because smallpox had historically uh, been the, the single most prevalent killer of humans in history. And uh, that particular um, advocacy to uh, vaccinate people, particularly in the developing world against smallpox, resulted in virtually elimination of, of smallpox as a disease. Um, and most people don't even think about smallpox today as being you know, like something on the radar screen uh, because that immunization was so effective in eliminating, which was the number one cause of death in the world at one time. And so I think that uh, you could also use the polio vaccine as an example. I grew up as a child in the 40s uh, with uh, some of my uh, classmates ending up getting polio. And um, in one case, ending up in what we called an iron lung, which is a pretty dismal way to have to lead your life with a mechanical device breathing for you and, and your body all enclosed. Um, and we pretty much eliminated polio uh, with, the, with the vaccines. And so I think that uh, the right technology applied at the right time can have a tremendous positive benefit. But with that said, <laughs> um, natural immunity, as you've described it, is our best 24 seven, 365 defense against all sorts of things, not just infection but injuries against exposure to foreign chemicals, uh, exposure to allergic substances, uh, exposure to toxic um, thoughts, um, because post-traumatic stress is tied how we, how we respond to it by our immune system's uh, resilience. So I think that your construct that you're, or your, your point that you're making, that natural immunity is where we should start, is to me, a little bit like asking me the question, a similar question, maybe not quite as weighty, would be, what do I think about nutritional supplements? Can you take nutritional supplements uh, to produce optimal health and not worry about anything else? Yeah. And there was, in our, in our body literature, uh, a number of years ago, this would be, uh, she was now, probably 30 years ago, a book uh, called Life Extension. And it was written by uh, Dirk Pearson and Sandy Shaw who became quite popular on the world's theater as celebrities, in which their concept was, and they were fairly young at the time, that as long as you took the right amounts of nutritional supplements, you could do anything you wanted. You could eat all the kind of foods, live the kind of lifestyle, drink as much alcohol, smoke. You didn't really have to worry about any of that as long as you took uh, this, this um, a wide array of nutritional supplements. The magic pills. And that's real. Yeah, and, and they actually, in their book, were some photographs in their home of these uh, really almost like containers of nutritional supplements were sitting around that they would take handfuls of. And that, that actually fueled uh, early on, and so this, again, was about 30 years ago, that fueled a lot of the nutrition supplement growth uh, in, in the industry. But then it was found um, over time that that was a false <laughs> assertion. Uh, Sandy Shaw and Dirk Pearson were not that healthy as they, as they started going older. And um, that the data really didn't support you could do anything you want and just take nutritional supplements as your defense insurance policy. And so people started coming back as they do now to saying it all starts with eating right food, the food that was grown in the right soil that had the right ecosystem then from food, you might want to build down your personalized nutritional program by selected supplementation, but you don't start with supplements and they eat chunk. And I think that that is the right kind of balance um, for how we use different things in different ways uh, for the, uh, the promotion of optimal health. How, how do we know whether or not our immune system is resilient? Is, is it based on whether or not we get sick all the time or whether or not we're able to fight off certain diseases? Is that the basis to, to look at it? Well, I think that's historically the way people have looked at it, but I, I think that's a very limiting view of what we now know about the, the immune system. You know, we, we've often thought that the immune system was just there to kind of guard us against infection. Yeah. Uh, but as we learn more and more, and when I say we, I mean the collective body of immunology researchers and clinicians, it started to become very clear that the immune system is throughout every cell, in, excuse me, in every organ and every tissue of our body. Our immune system is doing surveying 
activity and asking how the body is working and communicating. And in fact, the um, the immune system is one of only three things that are uh, constantly sampling the outside world and telling the inside body how to work 24 seven, 365. Uh, what are the other two? The other two are, are the nervous system and the microbiome, the, the intestinal and, and lung microbiome, these organisms that live on the um, mucosal tissues of our body that are exposed to the outside world, either air when we breathe in the lungs and respiratory uh, tract, or in our gut when we eat and drink. And so those three systems, the immune system, the gut and uh, uh, respiratory epithelia that has the microbiome, and then the nervous system are all cross-talking. They're all interwoven. And they're constantly sampling the outside world and they're telling our body how to respond. All the cells in our body respond to those messages. And they respond as if, okay, if the immune system and the nervous system are saying that all is not friendly, that we're at war and we ought to pull out the guard and start doing battle, then all of our cells in our body start doing the battle. And that then produces a situation that we call inflammaging. We start being in a chronic inflammatory state. It's as if the god of war, the color of red, Mars, suddenly has appeared in our body and we're fighting with, uh, with inflammation at a chronic level against offenders It may not even be there. It just may be a false messaging. This is how it relates a lot to, um, to autoimmune disease. When our, our body starts to look like it's allergic to itself and starts attacking itself, it's because the immune system has gotten the message that it needs to be on guard and it needs to do battle. And when it does so, it's doing battle, sometimes having uh, bystander activity against our own body cells, which produces tissue injury. And it could be tissue injury in the brain, like with a uh, nervous system, like multiple sclerosis, or it could be in the joints, like rheumatoid arthritis, or it could be in the, in the um, pancreas, like type 1 diabetes, or it can be in the gut, like um, uh, uh, inflammatory bowel disease. These are all manifestations of an immune system that becomes imbalanced not because it's necessarily fighting a virus or bacteria, but because it's got confused intelligence relative to the outside world and how it's sampling it. So the, the gut and the nervous system, they all work together with the immune system to keep diseases from basically making you sick. Is that right? Is that the way I understand exactly it? Exactly right. And well before you get sick, I think this is something that... Um, I think we're starting to wake up to understand. There is something in the United States, uh, as I recall, like um, 20 million people who have different types of autoimmune diseases. There are, there are like 80 different, more than 80 different diagnoses under that family. Um, but if you actually look at the number of people who have what we call pre-autoimmune disease, which would be symptoms of autoimmune disease that are not yet fully diagnosed, they're just like chronically ill, uh, but the doc says, well, you don't have a disease. I don't know exactly what's wrong with you. You're just uh, kind of a state of not doing well. Those pre-autoimmune conditions constitute a great number of our population, particularly uh, women, which seem to have higher prevalence of these conditions than do men. And so if you, if you really start asking how many people are walking wounded with these uh, problems of um, an imbalanced immune system, it is far greater than the number of people that actually have immune diseases like autoimmune disease. And so we started to try to evaluate how you get a handle on that. How does a person know how their immune system is working? And, and through our work, we've developed a, a kind of a simple questionnaire. We call it the immuno identity questionnaire that based on the symptoms and history that a person uh, fills out this questionnaire, we can kind of get a first approximation of what their immune state is, what, what their what we call immuno identity is. There's five different immuno identities we've we've isolated, and that then allows us to better understand then how do you manage that immune state of that individual so that they can get rebalanced because they're in a state of imbalance. And that questionnaire, by the way, that quiz we call it the immune identity quiz, is actually on our website, our uh, Big World Health website that people can take and and will give you a response as to what your immunological type is and how that and then relates to things you might want to do to improve your immune function. I'll make sure the link for that website is in, in the show notes, but this is something that I am very fascinated by because I've got autoimmune in my esophagus. So I've got esophilic esophagelitis, I think it's called, um, which is nasty. So, and I can't seem no matter what I've 
tried to do, no matter what my gastroenterologist has, he's just basically told me to take a steroid to, to get rid of it, but it's still there and it's everything else. Like I've tried other holistic methods. I've tried natural, I've tried other, you know, an MD telling me this is what you should do medicines you should take still there still annoying. I've changed my diet so many times, Dr. Bland, nothing seems to be helping it at all. Is there any way for me to get rid of it? And firstly, the question, the second question is how does uh, an autoimmune disease actually develop in the first place? Yeah. So let's, let's use you as a, as a good case history here. So esophagitis, let's, let's talk about the, the word first. So any word um, in the medical lexicon that has itis at the end, uh, that means it's an inflammation. So that means it's an inflammation of your esophagus. So that is defining the problem. It's not telling how it came to be in your body, nor is it telling what to do. It just defines that you have an inflammation of the cells that line your esophagus. So then if we wanted to say, okay, well, where did this come from? Then we ask, okay, uh, you've got your genes, your unique genetic structure, and then you've got your experiences uh, that have made you, uh, all the things that you've experienced since you were born, are uh, part of your story that has influenced then aspects of your cellular architecture. So we might say then, are there things then in your combination of your genes and your experiences that might match together to give rise to this condition, which is inflammation of your esophagus? Now that, I'm gonna stop just for a second before I go to the next step, because you're anxious, well, where would this take me? I, I just wanna point out for people listening to this that what medicine often does is it stops right there. It says, you've got an inflammation of the esophagus, and then it says, okay, how do we block inflammation of the esophagus? Yeah. Well, you block inflammation of the esophagus the same way you block inflammation of the knee or the elbow or the head or the um, heart or the, virtually any organ or tissue, you use an anti-inflammatory agent. And you say, well, what are the anti-inflammatory agents? If you're a doc, you've got a whole list. Some are over the counter and some are prescription. And you pick the ones that are in the standard of identity that block inflammation that have been proven by other docs to be useful in that condition. Now, did that at all treat the condition? Of course it didn't. It treated the effect. It didn't treat the cause. There's no one would argue that it didn't treat the cause. But that's not what medicine is there to do. It's treating the effect so that you can leave the doctor's office with a prescription and feeling you've got something that will alleviate your symptoms. Yeah. But those things will continue on forever because you didn't treat the cause. So I'm just saying the obvious, there's no revelation about this. This is where we are. Now, maybe if you're 90, <laughs> you might say, well, that's good enough. I just wanna get rid of the symptoms because I only have a few years remaining on the planet, so I don't really care. If you're 40, you might say, well, hold on just a minute. I don't want uh, another 50 years of this. I, I like to treat the cause and not the effect. That's called upstream medicine or uh, point of origin medicine. It's a different philosophy, and that is the basis of functional medicine. Now, I don't want to be holier than thou and suggest that because I say this, that we necessarily always know exactly the cause, because these can be very complicated. There's multiple factors that can work on a person's genes to create an outcome that's called, in this case, esophagitis. But what we do know by asking that question is what causes it, it sets us up into a whole different set of questions that we want to ask and a different way of evaluating you rather than you saying, well, we have a treatment that'll get rid of the symptoms called an anti-inflammatory, which is steroids. Yeah. So these, the functional medicine model is a more complicated model. Clearly, it's not really good for five-minute office visits because it's gonna require that practitioner, that doc to work with the patient to really try to understand how the combination of what they've done and how they live and how they eat and so forth could influence their function in such a way that gave rise to this inflammation of their, of their esophagus. It didn't just happen because uh, God just said, you're gonna have a bad esophagus. It happened because there are variables that are causing it that if you understand them and can identify them are most often 
um, executable and you can change them. And that's how you treat the cause and not the effect. Now, let's go to you personally, anesophagitis. Where would I go? I would go into the literature that talks about esophageal uh, tissues. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. In the mucosal lining of your esophagus, this very sensitive set of uh, cells that are only like one cell thick lining that separate your body from whatever you put down your throat. And those cells have specific personalities that are unique to their environment. And they have unique needs that other cells and other parts of your body don't have. Right. So I would start immediately and saying, what things would we want to take away that those cells don't like? And what things do we want to add back that those cells do like? That would be how I would treat the cause and not the effect of your regional specific inflammation that is esophagitis. Now, I, I've, I've given you this as a primer course in functional medicine. To really do this right, obviously, we'd have to sit down and, and do a much more detailed Sherlock Holmes detective story. But I'm fairly confident from now four decades of experience in this that we could identify in you things that would be modifiable that would alleviate much, if not all, of this esophagitis. And... Um, I think that that is a different strategy. It's not commonly practiced in the medicine of the 21st century, but it will be the medicine of our future because we can't treat all the sick people with things that only suppress symptoms because eventually they'll get worse and then they become more expensive and more problematic. Well, that's what I'm trying to avoid because I'm 26 and the the gastro that did the laparoscopy on me, he... I had, I think, over 50 nodules that were inflamed. And he goes, for someone your age, he's never seen that before. Usually someone my age with over 50, uh, he's like, I've only seen over 60-year-olds with that amount. He goes, usually I only see patients that have got around 20 or 15 that are inflamed. He's like, yours are, he's like, I don't know how you're, you're coping or you're managing. I'm like, well, I'm not really, it, it's really, really painful because I can't sleep. I'll wake up yeah. in, a, in like my, a burning sensation all the way down here to my chest. And then I'll be sweating profusely as well. All these aspects just go on as a result. But if I was to track it back to my childhood, I was born with kidney reflux and gastric reflux as well. And I think as I've grown older, the gastric reflux has still been there. The kidney reflux has sort of dissipated a little bit, but I think it might have caused a little bit of scarring. I don't know. I'm not a doctor, but maybe I do need a better doctor, <laughs> Dr. Bland, to get to the bottom of, of how we can properly fix it um, in, the, in the near future. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I, again, I, I want to be very cautious here that I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not – uh, criticizing your doctor because I, th I think your doctor is using standard of care and, he, and they're doing exactly what they're trained to do, which is to treat the problem. Um, but the model that I'm describing, it, it, it doesn't mean give up what you're doing. It means adding on to what you're doing to try to explore, as a detective uh, would do, uh, the variables that are known uh, to enhance the probability of uh, esophageal mucosal inflammation. Yeah. And I think you identified um, absolutely one of the places I would have started with, I would have been asking you about gastric reflux because that bile 
that uh, comes comes by reflux is very caustic. You know, it has to digest nails, <laughs> and so it's very caustic to the sensitive uh, uh, mucosal lining of your esophagus. So that could certainly cause what you call scarring. But there is no cell type that is irreversibly injured. Our body can replace itself. That's the most powerful thing. You know, we used to think that, like for instance, brain cells. Once you lost them, they could never return. But now we actually recognize that there is some neuroplasticity, that our brain actually has neurogenesis capabilities, admittedly slower than, say, um, other tissues of our body can replace themselves more rapidly. But even the brain can, can be uh, regenerated. So this concept that we're on a one-way ticket to disaster is, is, is ridiculous. Um, we can turn so many of these things around. And that's actually why I started this company, Big Bold Health, for that very reason, because I got so discouraged the way people were talking about their immune system and their immune function, I thought, you know, there's so much more to learn, so much more that we can help people to become owners of their immune system, not just be victims of their immune system. We just have to get uh, this down to a level that can be accessed by individuals in ways that they can implement in their lives without having to become a doctor in the process. And that's that's really was the whole advocacy of starting Big Bold Health. I, I really didn't need to start another company in my life, but. I just felt that there was this unmet need to take what we're learning and make it accessible to people so they could they could change the course of living. Yeah. I think what you're doing is is honestly incredible. And I commend you for doing it. I wish you were my doctor, <laughs> to be honest with you. Uh the more that I the more I listen to you and the more that I have uh understood your your work. I wanted to ask you about this. This is more my curiosity. I've heard it said couple of times. Do you believe that all disease begins in the gut? Well, you know, Hippocrates said that over 2,000 years ago, and I think at the time uh, people thought that maybe that was a little exaggeration. But it is very, very interesting uh, over the last, particularly the last oh, 10 to 15 years, how much we're learning about how the gut microbiome and what's going on in the gut is influencing all of our health, our behavior, our attitude, our our outlook, our clear thinking, our liver function, our sore joints, our flexibility. I mean, there's our, it's much more than just the intestinal tract. It's influencing the whole of our body. And the reason for that is very simple. And it's fascinating when I bring this up, quite honestly, just to, to kind of give a little parenthetical insight. Years ago, when I started talking about this, and by the way, it was in 1985, was the first time I gave a seminar for doctors on the uh, the gut's immune system, the so-called gastrointestinal-associated lymphoid tissue, the gut's immune system. It turns out that in 1985, when I started this discussion, um, most docs who came to my educational meetings had didn't have a clue that there was a, a lot of this immune system going on in the gut. Now it's become more, uh, more well-recognized. It's still not fully appreciated at the level it needs to be, but it's certainly come a long way since 1985 because we now know clearly that more than 60% of our immune system is clustered around our intestinal tract. Hmm. Now, people have asked, well, why would that be? I mean, is, was it just, did the universal designer of the human body just throw it in there because it was no other place to put it? And, and the answer is, is no. If you think of why, why the immune system is so uh, dense in its um, effects on the immune, on the, excuse me, the intestinal tract, over the course of living, an average person will eat somewhere between, depending on their appetite and their size, between 10 and 20 tons of food. Wow. And if you think of what food is, food are foreign molecules. The stuff that are the molecules that make up our body, that makes up our cells, are, are different than the food we eat, unless we're cannibals, which hopefully none of us are. So that means you're eating uh, plants and animals that have a different constitution than you have. And so your body has to make a decision what to let in and what to keep out. And that's what happens at the intestinal level with the immune system. It's the gatekeeper. It, it says, oh, that's a friendly molecule. I'll let it in. Or, oh, no, that's not such a friendly molecule. I must uh, keep that out or I, might, I have to form a reaction to it because it's it's not going to do us well. So the immune system, uh, like we, we know about antibodies, for instance, that um, 
uh, are produced against an infectious organism, like we saw with the vaccine, the, the mRNA vaccines, they've produced antibodies to the uh, spike protein. Well, those antibodies, 70% of those are produced by the immune cells in our intestinal tract. Let me say it again. 70% of our antibodies are produced by immune cells that line our intestinal tract. Now, how does that relate then to things that we experience? It means that if your intestinal tract gets confused, your immune system gets confused, or vice versa, the other way, if your immune system gets confused, your intestinal tract gets confused, your whole digestion gets screwed up. And so this interrelationship between our food, our digestive process, our, uh, the microbes that live in our intestine, and by the way, people don't know this, but the number of uh, the weight of microbes in our in the average human body that makes it about the second or third largest organ in the body. It's not actually an organ. It's, it's just a group of cells uh, that are working, uh, hopefully on our behalf, but not always. Sometimes they're working in our uh, liability. But we have something like five or six pounds of, uh, of living organisms in our intestinal tract. And there are three kinds of organisms you can have. You can have what are called symbiotic organisms. Those are friends. They make vitamins, they make immune acting substances, they're friends to your intestinal immune, immune system. Those are called symbionts. Then you have this next, next class that are called commensals. Those are uh, bacteria that live in your intestinal tract that they don't do you harm, but they don't do necessarily a lot of good. They just take them some real estate and they're kind of just neutral. Then you have the third type, and those are the ones we really worry about, and those are called the parasitic bacteria. And those can produce mischief in our intestinal tract. They can be producing even disease or poisoning us, uh, like we, we get with some um, salmonella organisms with food poisoning. They can be damaging. Now, it turns out, this is a little factoid, in one gram of stool, an average gram of stool, that's a pretty small amount of stool, you have more microbes in that gram of stool, more bacteria, than there are st stars in the known universe. What? Let me say it again. Yes. There are more bacteria in a gram of stool than there are stars in the known universe. It's like 10 to the 14th per gram. 10 with 14 zeros after it. One with 14 zeros. And um, the personality of that uh, microbiome that's reflective of those bacteria is going to have a very dramatic effect on your immune system. That's going to tell the rest of the body whether you're in a friend state or in, a, in, a, in an enemy state. And so... We, with um, our Big World Health programs, uh, are really focused uh, at the first level of defense, which is our gut immune system, through trying to, to harness our gut microbiome to be our friend. Now, how do you do that? Well, it turns out that there are specific nutrients that have been discovered that are helpful in restoring uh, and making our microbiome a friend and getting rid of those parasitic bacteria. Uh, these would include um, prebiotic fibers you know, from specific foods. This would include a family of, uh, of various uh, what are called phytonutrients, plant-derived nutrients that are uh, members of the flavonoid or polyphenol family. Uh, has names like quercetin, physetin, uh, hesperidin, lutein, uh, diosmin. There's a whole family of these. And um, that's actually why we got very interested in this ancient food that's been eaten by humans for 2,500 years called Himalayan tartary buckwheat. Himalayan tartary buckwheat, which is um, this ancient food, obviously coming from the Tartan region of China, which is on the foothills of the Himalayan mountains, was eaten by people for over 2,500 years in the um, uh, Asian culture. It turns out that it has very, very high levels of these uh, immune active um, phytochemicals that I mentioned, phytonutrients, and very high levels of these prebiotics. And it may explain in part why people that have lived historically in these regions of the world who have uh, not much modern medicine, and um, live pretty simple lives, are members of what has been called the blue zones. I don't know if people are familiar with that term, the blue zones. This was um, coined by a gentleman by the name of Dan Butner, who wrote a best-selling book called The Blue Zones from the studies he'd been done. And, and the blue zones are places around the world where people uh, historically and commonly live over 100 years of age and really don't have a lot of modern medicine. And the reason that it's called the blue zones is that when they were identified, uh, they used a blue Sharpie pen to circle them on the map. So they just called them blue zones. 
And they include the Himalayas, they include places in Costa Rica, they include Vilcabamba, they include um, Ecuadorian highlands, they include uh, an interesting one <laughs> is um, a place <laughs> which doesn't fit into these other uh, kind of locations that I just mentioned. Um, it's Loma Linda, California. Yeah. Now, what's Seventh unique to Loma Linda, California? That's right. It's Seventh day Adventists. It's right in LA County. And it lives, the people that live there have much longer life expectancies than their neighbors that don't live in Loma Linda. They eat this, uh, they drink the same water, they grow on the same freeways, but they have entirely different health outcomes because they're vegetarians. And so when we start thinking about the blue zones and then contextualizing what these diets uh, do, they improve the gut microbiome, which improves immunity, improves resilience, which led us then into this Himalayan tartary buckwheat story. And now we're the only people in the United States that have grown now organically certified Himalayan tartary buckwheat. And it's amazing when people start using this as to how it has a positive impact on their immunity and on their function and their sleep and their uh, even things like depression uh, are, are better managed because their gut microbiome is more friendly. So this is a, a revolution in thinking actually that we're, we're starting to see emerge. It's great that you mentioned Dan Butner because I just recently spoke to him. I think it was last week, I believe it was. So I got a full-on in-depth dive into the blue zones, what they were, the diet, all those things. The Himalayan buckwheat, I'm curious about. So if you were to, do you just eat it straight as is? Like when you turn it into sort of like a bread form or that sort of thing? Or do you need to, in order to activate those um, prebiotics, probiotics like you were talking about, do you need to turn it into resistant starch at all? No, actually, um, it's very, very interesting to look at the history of, of how uh, the Himalayan chartery buckwheat has been used historically. It's, it's, it's almost always uh, put into some kind of a, uh, a, a baked good or a good that's ex exposed to heat. Um, but what we have found is that if you, um, if you liberate those, um, those phytochemicals by sprouting, uh, they become very, very bioavailable, but bioactive. So we've actually produced concentrates of the Himalayan tartary buckwheat that you can actually put the concentrates into different forms, like in shake mix or into, into a, a powder delivery form. And uh, so there are many ways that it can be delivered. We actually have a food lab that are developed recipes and menu guides. If, if you go to our website, you're going to see all sorts of ways of utilizing and, and, and producing different um, menu guide or menu plans relative to Himalayan tartary buckwheat. Huh. That's very interesting. So even if you're in Australia, you can order it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, uh, we, we, we've got quite an interesting international group of people back on this ancient food now. It's very fascinating. I've got to, I'm going to have, a, have a, a look at this. This is, um, this is fascinating. So to sort of round out this conversation, I wanted to ask you a couple more questions, uh, Dr. Bland. This is fascinating stuff. I'm a huge geek with this, this kind of uh, information. Um, when it comes down to diets and foods and things that we should be eating versus things that we shouldn't be eating, I mean, there's once again, there's a lot of information out there. So many diet fads, you name it. What do you recommend? people eat yep. and follow. Thank you. You know, you're right in seeing that, that there are a lot of fads and, and things that come and go. I've been around in this field long enough to see many, many diet fads come and go. And uh, we have keto and we have, we have paleo and we have fasting and we have fasting mimicking dieting and we have high protein, low carbohydrate. We have high carbohydrate, low protein. We have fat restriction. I mean, you you can go, we have the DASH diet, we've got the Mediterranean diet. So there's all sorts of um, options. <laughs> but there are certain things that come through, I believe, uh, that are reproducible. And that is, uh, I think Michael Pollan said it beautiful in uh, Carnivore's Dilemma, uh, uh, excuse me, Omnivore's Dilemma. And then he, he, um, he was talking about make sure we get a lot of plant foods in our diet and, and make sure those plant foods, plant foods are minimally processed and let's eat by the rainbow. Eating by the rainbow, meaning eating plants of color, not synthetic color agents, but natural color in the plant. Uh, then uh, each of those coloring agents is a unique phytochemical or, or combination of phytochemicals 
all of which have their own unique physiological benefit. So if you eat by the rainbow, you're really eating polypharmacy. You're eating all sorts of different bioactive compounds and, and minimally process them. Don't um, overcook them, don't extract them and, and put them up with a bunch of other ingredients, but, but as natural as possible. Use uh, animal products um, as part of your diet if you care to, but uh, use them in, in lean and organic or natural derived forms. Stay away from uh, highly processed meat products. And we, we found people eating more and more processed meats and, and the data is pretty clear that the high levels of processed meat products are, are not good. They translate into various health problems and challenges on one's immune system. Um, people ask often about dairy. The dairy is, is great, but I would say it should be probably whole fat dairy and in, in moderation. It shouldn't be uh, as a major part of your diet, but uh, consumed with moderation. And as it relates to, uh, to grains, I, I think grains are, are well and good as whole grains, as long as you are not gluten sensitive. And there are many people that do have a um, uh, reaction to gluten that's an adverse type of allergic immune reaction. Uh, and so I would be somewhat cautious about overdosing with uh, gluten-containing grains. These are basically cereal grains. It's one of the nice things we like about Himalayan uh, tartary buckwheat, although the name is has wheat in it. It's not a wheat at all. It has no relationship to wheat, and it has no gluten. So uh, people can – it's actually a fruit seed <laughs> as, a, um, as contrasted to a, a cereal grain. And so there are products that you can, you can consume that are gluten-free as, uh, as flour substitutes. And then I would say that the, uh, the other thing is omega-3 fats. You want to make sure you're getting these friendly fats in your diet uh, that can either come from cold weather vegetables that are rich in alpha-linolenic acid or from uh, various fish and, and fish products. Um, I'm a big, we live here in the Pacific Northwest of the United States so where the where salmon snobs up here uh, close to Alaska and a lot of fishing. So um, we believe in omega-3 fats from fish, but uh, you can obviously get it from other sources as well, even supplements. But I think omega-3 fats are, are definitely health-promoting uh, as contrasted to long-chain saturated fats that solidify to be hard fats on the, on the counter at room temperature. So I think that these are some guideposts, no matter what your diet um, persuasion might be, these principles I've just described, uh, I think, are proven to work. And if you look at the Mediterranean diet studies that have been done um, with uh, virgin olive oil, uh, you know, free-range chicken, fish, uh, fresh fruits and vegetables, uh, moderate gra whole grains. Uh, the, the data is quite clear that people that are on those types of diets do better metabolically. They live longer, they live healthier, they have better immune systems, and uh, it's it's a good guidepost to go from. I think there's a doctor that I was looking at. I think his name's Tim Spector. I think it is. Oh yeah, yes. yeah. So he was describing getting that rainbow of different um, vegetables. And I thought it was interesting. I'm like, how in the world am I going to find that many different colors with vegetables here in Australia? And I'm like, do I even like them all to begin with? But he's like, you know, it, you, you, there's so many out there. It's not really, really hard to find if you look. And it's also interesting as well. Uh, I was gluten-free for a while. And then I started eating like sourdough. So I, I went to the shop. And I would buy the packaged sourdough and then I'd still get uh, inflammation from that. So then I found a place up here where I live where the guy actually uses unrefined grains, the proper stuff. And he, the sourdough is like the best I've ever had, believe it or not. And it doesn't cause any inflammation one bit. Yeah. I feel so much, so much better. Uh, when I eat it and it tastes great at the same time. So I'm happy about that. <laughs> yeah. But well, um, and I think you said something, you said something very important there. Uh, eating well doesn't mean eating poorly or eating without good taste. Um, and, and, you know, we have a little game that we often play with people who go through this diet change program. We say, just choose one vegetable a week that you're not familiar with and incorporate it into your diet. Find a way that you can, you might juice it, you might use it in a recipe, a salad recipe, or a, uh, as a condiment with something else. Just introduce one a week. And what you'll find is you'll, you'll broaden your base of your eating habits. You'll get into other ethnic cuisines. You'll have a lot more fun. You'll have a lot more variety. And you'll have a lot better health. Mm. What's your favorite food? 
Well, it depends upon the day. Like it could be a sushi and Japanese food one day. It could be uh, Latin American food, um, beans and rice another day. It could be uh, salmon and uh, um, you know a vegetable salad that uh, is another day. I, you know, it, I believe in variety, but I also believe in staying close to the earth and uh, eating as if I want to be healthy at a hundred. Do you have a guilty pleasure at all? Oh, sure. Everybody does. Yeah. And it's, that's good to have that. And it's good to use it in moderation. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a part of the whole program. What's your guilty pleasure? I, I'd have to say it's, uh, it's, it's more baked goods that um, I like natural berries. I like to, to put baked goods and natural berries. So uh, sweet rolls or, or muffins, that, that's kind of my, my deal. Are you a cookie man? Oh yeah, I'm I'm an oatmeal cookie guy. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm with you on that one. You should you should say the the I get these things called they're not good for you at all, Doctor Bland. So don't judge me at all for this. <laughs> it's quite a guilty pleasure. But I get like these thick cookies. They're they're insane. Um, inspired from New York, uh, and then they're just they're wild. <laughs> like they're real stuff. Sounds very interesting. <laughs> they, they are very, very interesting cookies, believe it or not. Uh, I only get them very sparingly, believe it or not, because they they send me over the edge. <laughs> it's that I would use. Sounds like a celebration. <laughs> yeah, big time. Yeah, we, we all we all need to celebrate life. It just so that celebrations don't become commonplace. Then they lose their celebration. And otherwise, it'd be it'd just be boring. I mean. I want right. to enjoy life as much as possible, obviously being mindful of health and health is wealth. They say, if you don't have your health, you got nothing. So being mindful of that fact, but also enjoying and letting loose a little bit. So like I said, sparingly, <laughs> uh, but anyway, right. two quick final questions for you, Dr. Bland. Uh, what do you love the most about yourself and your story? I think people who have known me for years say that I am the proverbial storyteller. So I must love being a storyteller. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm an extrovert. You can probably tell. Uh, and I'm time urgent. I'm a guy that's always doing more than I probably should be. Drives my wife crazy at times. But um, after decades of marriage, I think she's kind of gotten used to it. Uh, but I think what I really like about myself is the ability to I've traveled over 6 million miles in my life, all around the world, many times. And the opportunities to have these experiences with other people, to learn from them, to see what how magnificent the human species is with all the things and skills that people have and the, the things they do. And then to be able to tell those stories later to others. It's just, um, it adds magic to my life. Yeah. Can only imagine the amount of stories that you've got hidden away. And unfortunately, we didn't have time to get to all of them. I'm sure one day we'll just unbox a little bit by a little bit <laughs> for everyone. I'd love to have you back, Dr. Bland, and just unbox more of those stories that you've got. But my final question for you, this is my all-time favorite question. I love asking all my guests at the very end. It is a hypothetical one, but I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. I have no doubt that you will get there. Just imagine uh, that your your family and your friends have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic for the sake of argument, but they've been able to get it and show it to you on your hundredth birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? Yeah, I actually did an exercise uh, in a course I went to many years ago, which asked a similar kind of question. And yeah, it made it very simple. They asked us, this was when I was in my 40s, I think. And they said, I want you each to write down what you'd like to have on your tombstone. And I want you to put it in an envelope, seal it up, and come back and look at it years later. And um, I remember very vividly what I wrote down. And I think it's exactly the answer to your question uh, for me today. And that is, if I compiled everything that I've done, what I would like it to be acknowledged is that, that Jeff Bland's life, he was a teacher. Because I think to be a teacher, you have to be a good student. And to be a teacher, you have to be a good listener. 
And to be a good teacher, you have to be willing to learn things that you didn't know about and maybe even rejected it firsthand because it didn't seem uh, that you should spend the time learning it. And to be a good teacher, you have to have an open heart, an open spirit, and an open mind. And you have to be willing then to communicate that to others. And um, I think that would be for me on the 100th birthday would be my takeaway from looking at my 6 million miles of travel and what it's meant. I think that's a good good place to leave it, good send-off message for people. But Dr. Bland, thank you so much for your time today, sir, your wisdom, your advice, and your stories, and for joining me today on the Storybox podcast. Thank you, Jerry. The best to you, and, and uh, keep uh, pursuing that. I'm, I think you'll find the solution to that uh, esophagitis. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 